For those of you who are visiting, I am not Jolt. I am 35 years older than he is. He is my son-in-law. But we live next door to each other. He lost his wife recently. That was my younger daughter. And I lost my wife. So we are comforting one another. Praying together, asking the Lord to help us. It's not easy. It's not easy. But I like the text. I believe 100% what was read about 144,000. But, you know, I am a Minuteman. I was asked just two days ago or a day and a half ago to step in. I cannot preach his sermon. I will have to come back and preach that sermon some other time. In 2020, I'm scheduled somewhere in February. Uh, One or two more announcements. I appreciate your Christmas cards. I want you to know I really do. Thank you so much. But please excuse me from sending you a Christmas card. My wife used to do that for 52 years. I can't do that. I just don't have all the energy. And I'm 85. What do you expect from me? <laughs> An old man. Uh, 2.20 will be a fantastic year. We will have a new conference president. Every Wednesday night, we come together in uh, small prayer meetings. We pray for the new conference president of Ohio. Brethren, I was disappointed when I read the news that our conference president accepted a call to go somewhere on the West Coast. I said, this was not the time to leave, but... I better don't get into politics here, all right? And, of course, we will have a new U.S. president. I expect that the old one will be reelected. I voted for Trump. And I'm going to vote for him again. But this is not a political campaign, brethren. Okay, I am not telling you how to vote. I am simply saying I have a theological conviction, and I think Hillary would have been much worse than Trump. But anyhow, let's quit there, all right? We finished this. This is not my topic. But I just shared my heart with you, all right? Now, a few words about the sermon before I start. I will have four parts. Four parts. The first one will be a family experience while Hungary was under German occupation during World War II. The last story will be again an experience in Hungary when we were under Russian 
occupation. And the two stories between will be a red letter story. Both stories are printed in this Bible in red letters. You know what that means. They are literally from the words of Christ. So let's begin. Listen, it's 12.10. I will take my time. This is the year end, brethren. I will take my time. What I have to say, I will say. And if you have to leave, feel free. Let's bow our heads for prayer. <laughs> Loving Heavenly Father, we have come to your house to learn from you. As we begin the new year, we need your help. Bless the truth that is going to be presented. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was 1943. Lived in Hungary. In 43, you remember, World War II was really at the peak. And Hungary at that time was under German occupation. Which meant that the American liberators, the bombers, were bombing us left and right. I never dreamed that I will come to America and complain about their bombing. <laughs> but <sighs> my mother took me to church. I was second grader in elementary school. Now, may I say, I knew no theological implications. So when I tell you this story, I am not telling you as, as a measurement for you to go by, okay? This is just a family experience. Our standard is in the Bible, correct? Everything is to be tested by the Word of God. But this was an experience, I believe, in harmony with the Bible. So I was second grader, and mother took me to the Roman Catholic Church, <clears throat> just the two of us. And I had a platform like this, and the big crucifix, and on the crucifix, Christ. And the big line in the church, people walking out, kneeling down, and Chris, uh, kissing the Christ on the crucifix. So we were standing in line, and <clears throat> I can't explain. Don't ask me to explain. But the fear came over me as, as we draw nearer. And I cried, and my mother says, Igor, what's the matter with you? I don't know. I just can't, I just can't kneel down and kiss that cross. Oh, don't be silly, she says. I take you out 
get some fresh air. So she took me out. We, you know, take some fresh air. And she thought that I will recover. So we stood again at the end of the line. And as we were coming to closer and closer again, the fear came over me. I said, Mom, I, I, I just cannot kiss it. She was frustrated. She didn't spank me. Also, at times she did, but not this time, all right? She was, she was that kind of a mother who didn't hesitate to spank if you needed it. But this time she didn't, but she was frustrated with me. What's the matter with you? So we went home from the service, a second grader crying, but not kissing the crucifix. It took me many, many years later when I became an Adventist to understand the significance. See, my mother used to be a Seventh-day Adventist when she was a girl. She knew the truth. She went into apostasy. When I was born, no more Adventism, no church attendance, and so on and so on. I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to her. I didn't know. I didn't understand. She should have understood that this is not the proper way to worship. I respect those who, listen to me, I respect those who ignorantly do that with a sincere heart, okay? I'm not condemning those. But a former Seventh-day Adventist, yes! Okay. At the end of my sermon, I will draw some conclusion, but there is another story coming. Okay, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. Luke, chapter 16. This is a red-letter story. Every detail comes from the mouth of Jesus. Is that correct? I don't have to explain what the red letter uh, Bible is. It means simply that those things that are printed in red letter, Jesus spoke those words. <clears throat> Luke sixteen, nineteen. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. 
So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and said, uh, saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Uh, please notice, these are all in red letters. Are you with me? I will give an explanation, but I just want you to note that this comes from the words of Christ. Word for word. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, <coughs> for I am tormented in these flames. Do you sense the ill logic? Do you sense the unreasonableness of the request? I would have asked hundreds of gallons of ice water put out the fire, not the fingertip on the tongue. That wouldn't help. Let me continue. Verse 25. But Abraham said, Son... Remember that in your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Brethren, it's a very serious matter. Not changing location. It's not allowed. Are you, are you reading the story carefully? Whoever is landing, wherever is landing, that's his place. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Extremely important. It's a salvation issue. It's a salvation issue. It was there, and it is still today, and it will be tomorrow. Where you end depends on 
to whom you listen. This is clearer than the noonday. I don't hear any amen here, brethren. Am I wasting my energy here? I need a few amens too, okay? And you might even say a nay if you disagree, but just don't make it too loud, okay? (laughs) Verse 30. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but one goes to them from the dead. They will repent. Now, brethren, John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, called Israel for repentance. And we as a chosen people are called to proclaim the same message to call the people to true repentance and reformation. Because it is a salvation issue. It is a salvation issue. Amen? Yes. Whether you believe it or not, say amen or not, it is true. All right, brethren? It is my firm conviction. I will not give you an inch on this matter. But here comes the clincher. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Now, brethren, I like to underscore this because I cannot overemphasize this is a very important issue. Salvation does not come by departed spirits appearing to you. Oh, miracles, yes. But salvation does not come just by somebody performing a miracle, especially sending back the dead relatives. You know, in Old Testament time, those folks were stoned to death. Are you with me? Stoned to death. It was a deadly sin. It's amazing that Saul killed all the spiritualist mediums And then at the end of his life, he returned to the Endor, the witch of Endor. The other day, this is not in my sermon, it's in my mind. In fact, I don't have any manuscripts. I didn't have time. I was reading book reviews. I love good books. I brought two of them. I love good books because good books don't go into apostasy. 
the only thing you have to make sure that they are good. But if they are good, read them, reread them, memorize them. So I was reading some book reviews, and the title of this book was The Mississippi Flows into the Tiber. Now, just a little geography. Tiber is a tiny, tiny little creek flowing through the city of Rome in Italy. You can wade through any time. So shallow. And I said to myself, the Mississippi flows into the Tiber. I have to get that book. But it costs over $300. Now, I don't have $300. So I had to be satisfied just with a short book review. Now, what do you think? What was the book about? The Mississippi flows into the river of Tiber. Subheading says, all prominent businessmen, politicians, sportsmen, millionaires and billionaires, all those who converted from Protestantism to Roman Catholicism. Oh, I said, now I see. The Mississippi flows into the Tiber. I would have loved to get the book. If you can get it and get me a copy, I will be ever thankful, but don't spend $300 on it. All right. What was the essence of this story in Luke 16? What was the essence? Christ was not arguing about their misconception. They had many misconceptions. Even the disciples. They expected Jesus to drive out the Romans. The apostles expected that. Is that correct, brethren? And even John the Baptist. Oh, I love to preach. I have a good sermon about that. You have to invite me back. No amen. But even John the Baptist did not understand fully the work of the Messiah. So uh, Jesus in this parable was not arguing their misconception. He wanted to make one thing sure. What was that one thing? That if you want to know the answer to salvation issue, you have to go to the written scriptures. Are you with me? If you want to know the issues and have a solid answer, you have to go to the written scriptures. Miracles won't do it. Okay, there is another red letter story. I think these two stories should be preached simultaneously. It's unfair separating them and not preaching together. But I hardly ever see or hear a pastor preaching 
both stories in the same Sabbath morning. I am an unusual man, you know. Okay. Let's turn together to John chapter 11. You know the story by heart. Christ raises Lazarus. But it is not by accident that the two main characters of both stories have the same name. I repeat, it is not just by accident that the two stories have, or the main character in the two stories have the identical name. Let's just zip through fast. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. When I read that story in Desire of Ages, I'm I'm crying. Uh, I served in the military. I'm not a sissy. I just don't cry, you know, for anything. But that story speaks to my heart. The beauty of the love of Christ is so convincing and overpowering. And I just can't help but say what the book of Revelation says. Worthy, worthy, worthy is a lamb to receive everything. So it mentioned again, it was a Mary. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, verse 3, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now I'm not going to read all the details, but Last night, I reread the story in Desire of Ages. I have the Desire of Ages here. If you would see, this book is worn. It is not dust covered on the shelf. Amen? Brethren, I reread it last night. Every time I read it, it brings as much inspiration as before. You just can't help. If you are receptive. They tell Lazarus, no, you will not die. But the sickness gets worse and he's in and out of consciousness. Sisters, repeat the words of Christ. This is not untrue death. And ultimately he dies. Four days passes by. After four days, Jesus arrives. 
And Mary comes, no, Martha comes first. Martha comes first. And as soon as Martha meets Jesus, what is her response? Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. True? Absolutely true. Did Jesus get the message? Yes. And did Jesus promise this is not unto death? Of course he promised. But they did not understand all the spiritual lesson behind it. And when Jesus says, your brother will rise, and Martha says, I know, I know he will rise. Then Mary comes. And Mary falls down on her knees and says the identical words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But brethren, you have to reread. You have to reread these narrations. You have to. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Because... The grace of God supported these two ladies. Otherwise, they would not have been able to maintain confidence in Christ. And the only way we can maintain our confidence in Christ, if God's grace helps us. Otherwise, We give up, but the scripture says he who endures to the end. Brethren, there is no exception. We cannot go into apostasy. And the Mississippi does not flow into the Tiber. Amen? Don't you ever do that. Don't you ever do that. Jesus asked, where did you lay him? And then the sister says, Lord, come and see. And then the Lord asked a very special favor, roll away the stone. And Martha says, Lord, By this time, he stinks. But Jesus says, didn't I say if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I have one more story to tell, so I better close this because... I have to keep my promise, especially if I make a promise on the pulpit. Is that correct? Otherwise, you will say, don't ever invite that man again. Jesus prays, Father, I know that you always hear me. 
No. The Jews were ready to stone him before because he claimed God is his father. But he substantiated that claim. Father, I know that you always hear me. But for those who stand here, that they may believe. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had been dead for four days walked out. I have to stop here. I have so much to say, but I have to limit myself. I can't test your patience, correct? But I want you to know the consequences. But there is a lesson here. A tremendous lesson. Verse 53. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. And uh, chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, chapter 12, the next chapter. But the chief priest took counsel that they might also put Lazarus to death. The first story of Lazarus was a principle. What was the first story? A principle. In spite of their misconception, Jesus tried to teach them the most important principle that if you want to be sure about the salvation issue, you have to come back to the written scripture. Amen? The second story with the same name, Ledretter edition, is a demonstration of that principle. The demonstration that if you don't believe Moses, if you don't believe the prophets, even if someone is risen from the dead, will not be converted. So are you with me so far? The first story is a principle. The second story is a demonstration of the same principle. Let me come to the fourth story. But before that, I was I told you I, I read it last night. <clears throat> I have to recharge my batteries. My battery goes down too. And the way I recharge it is prayer and reading the scriptures. Prayer and reading the scriptures. And uh, the greatest miracle. The crowning miracle, the uncontrovertible miracle, was the raising of Lazarus. You agree with me? You better agree because it is truth. But this is what the spirit of prophecy tells us. It was a demonstration of divine power. I'm quoting. 
sufficient to convince every mind that was under the control of reason and enlightened conscience. Brethren, I have been preaching all my ministry here in Brooklyn with all my faults and shortcomings. I wasn't quite perfect. I'm not yet, but I'm striving. I believe in last generation theology. You might not be familiar with it. Some of you might. It's a very important issue. If you are interested, I will be happy to send you emails regarding this issue. It really divides the church. It is a salvation nation. Last generation theology. But anyhow, I have been preaching that sanctified reason should have a control of your life. Sanctified reason should have a control of your life. <clears throat> Last story. The first story was during World War II. <coughs> <coughs> more than 70 years ago. Some of you were not even born. I envy you. I wish I were a little younger. The second story, after World War II, when we lived in Hungary under Russian occupation, Stalin was up, almost worshipped, And you didn't dare to say a bad word about him. Now, those of you who came from the East, you know what I mean. Those of you who don't, you can read about it. I lived through. <clears throat> we lived in real poverty. Life was very difficult for my parents. Very difficult. And the secretary of the local communist party came to my mother and he said, Mrs. Botansky, join the communist party. We will send you off to receive education. You become a, part, a party functioner and this and that. You will have a high salary and your sons will be able to go to the university. You, have, you will have no worry. You don't have to live in poverty. But you have to join the Communist Party. Now, what did I tell you at the first story? What did I tell you? <clears throat> that my mother, as a maiden or a young girl or I don't know how old she was before she got married she was baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church in this context 
She says, I need time. Give me some time. <clears throat> the gentleman says, okay, I'll give you a couple of weeks, but I need an answer. My mother says, okay, just give me time. Now, she was thinking it over. She knew she was a well-read woman. Amen? A well-read woman. I inherited this loving to read partially through her genes. I don't know. I love to read. Somebody says, Igor, you are getting old, you are alone, and don't, don't you feel bored and whatnot? No, I said, if I have a good book, it is almost as good as my wife, Susan, you understand? Almost. Not so with my son-in-law. He, he's looking for a new wife. I didn't tell you this. You didn't hear that. I support him. He's only 50. I support him. If I were 50, I would be looking left and right and even behind. But hey, with 85, my love, the books. Okay. My mother was anxious. Poverty or a very comfortable life and a secure education for her sons. Finally, the deadline arrived. Tomorrow she had to meet that secretary of the party and give her answer. So she was agonizing but finally made up her mind. Ah, I joined the party. I joined the party. So went to bed, he says, tomorrow I am meet I will meet the party secretary and tell him I will join the Communist Party. That night, she had a dream. Somebody came to her with a hammer in one hand and a big spike on the other, handed it to her and says, just go over and drive that nail into the wood. Oh, she says, yes, I will be glad to. So she walked over, put that spike down, lifted up the hammer, and then notice suddenly that she would drive that spike into the palm of Jesus. Which meant crucifying him anew. She woke up, made up her mind. No, I'm not going to join the party. We suffer Whatever the consequences, we rather suffer. I shared the same story with the Hungarian pastors. I meet with the Lutheran, Baptist, 
Presbyterian Adventist pastors. Every month we have a meeting, and I share the same uh, dream of my mother. And the Lutheran pastor who, who comes from the same city that I went to church to Chris, uh, um, kiss a crucifix, same city. Oh, she says, I wish the Lord would have sent such a dream to more people. More people. Now, brethren, I appreciate your time in closing. I have two books here. It's the same book. The Mystic Omega of End Time Crisis. The real issue in the future is philosophical spiritualism. Philosophical spiritualism. Reprinted by Secret Unsealed, Stephen Bohr, you know. And Stephen Bohr will not reprint some trash. If you know Stephen Bohr. When Dr. Harvey Kellogg came out with his book, Mrs. White was the only one in the beginning who said, this is a spiritualistic ideology or philosophy. And brethren, mysticism is spreading. It's entering even our ranks. Many people don't recognize it, but anyhow. Uh, Let me just close it with this way. The Lord spoke to my mother in spite that she was an apostate Adventist. But I didn't tell you the story as a standard for you, okay? It is not meant to be. Your standard is the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy. Any experience, any experience has to be tested by the Holy Scriptures and the spirit of prophecy. But brethren, we have to be careful where we compromise. Where we compromise. Have a blessed new year. Thank you for your patience. Amen.